Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Colin Squires. So this is my hair, believe it or not. Ten years ago, a couple of weeks ago, um, this was cut off of my head. We raised some money for charity, but I had these dreadlocks attached to my head for eight years. And uh, we've got a picture just to prove it, because a lot of you would remember me having dreadlocks. But if you're in J247, I just realized I'm still wearing safety specs. Um, you probably wouldn't remember me ever having hair like this. And I just thought it would be fun, this is the first time I've seen these in 10 years, um, to get these out and just see how they're doing. And actually, they smell about as good as the day that I cut them off, So, uh, which is awful. So there we go. Thank you, guys. It was a round of applause for these guys for helping out. Now, Max, you can go and find your seat if you want to. Thank you. Now, the interesting thing about these dreadlocks is... What happened after I cut them off? I'll just leave them there so you can see. And it starts retching a little. Hello, gorgeous. So when I had dreadlocks, certain people seemed to see me a certain way. They, uh, particularly the kind of people that would hang out in skate parks. For some reason, some people seemed to think when I had dreadlocks that I would sell certain kinds of special cigarettes, if you know what I mean. I don't know why. I would just, people would just approach me and say, hey, can I buy some special cigarettes from you? And I'm like, I don't smoke. But because I had dreadlocks, people assumed a certain thing about me. And it seemed to be particularly some older people seemed to be a little bit nervous around me. Thankfully, not very many. Uh, hopefully because I was a really nice person despite my really not nice hair. Um, but when I got them cut off, I didn't expect anything to change, but it did. People started to treat me differently. I even had some times where I walked past people, like some of you guys, in the street who I know really well and completely blanked me. And I was like, uh, hello, hello. And they look at me like, oh, I didn't recognize you. And I found that certain people who before had accepted me didn't seem to treat me in the same way. And people before who were a little bit maybe, well, I'm not sure about him, seemed to think, oh, what a lovely, nice young man. And it was just interesting to see the way that things changed. Now, I need to get this at this point. Now, it says in the Bible, we've got, uh, this is the verse we're looking at today. In Galatians 3, 26, 27, you were all baptized into Christ, and so you were all clothed with Christ. So we're talking today about not the way we look physically, but the way that we look spiritually. So when it's saying clothed with Christ, what does that mean? Does it mean something like London Fashion Week? You know, people would say at London Fashion Week, who are you wearing? Is it Laurent? Is it Dior? Dolce and Gabbana? Uh, you know, that people would want to know, who are you wearing? So is it saying that hidden in the pages of the Bible is a secret sort of like a, you know, outline to make a beautiful linen robe and sandals and accessorize it with a donkey so that when you walk into church, people go, who are you wearing? You go, Jesus, darling. No, it's not about what we wear on the outside. So what is it talking about? It's talking about what we're wearing spiritually. So not what we see with our eyes, but what God sees and also what the enemy sees. Now, there's a story in the Bible about someone who changed what he was wearing. And I wonder if you know it. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. And it's talking about Joseph. Now, anyone here who might love, I'd certainly do, the game show QI might know what to expect with the following answer. So, are you ready? Joseph had something special that he wore. Does anyone want to shout out what it was? 
I heard Technicolor dream coat, a coat of many colors, rainbow coat. Well done. Uh -uh. You're wrong. <gasps> Can you believe it? We've been lied to all throughout Sunday school and most of our lives. Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Who knew it? But Andrew Lloyd Webber wasn't a theologian or a Bible expert on, on biblical history. I never realized, especially after seeing Jesus Christ Superstar. I thought he must be, but no. Um, but actually, I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating a bit. It might be that it was a technicolored coat. And the reason being that, that historians and Bible historians think it probably was because at the time, uh, or, or now more recently, at the time there have been coats discovered of made of many colors around the area of kind of Lebanon, Philistine, that kind of, that, uh, um, yes, uh, that kind of time at the moment, Israel. Um, and so, um, uh, Palestine, did I say Philistine? Palestine. And so um, at, that, uh, at that kind of time, there were coats of many colors. However, the word here is actually quite difficult to translate. And it might and maybe even more likely mean, rather than coat of many colors, coat of long sleeves and long down to the floor. And it's really interesting why I make this point about this coat. I think it's really important because the reason that it would come down to the, long, to the floor, to the feet and to, the, to the, uh, the, the palms of the hands is because everyone else who had to do lots of work and manual labor wore short robes that down to the knees and down to the tops of the arms so they could lift and they could work out in the fields. But a long robe was worn by someone who didn't have to work. Now that's important. Because just as God has clothed us in Christ to show that he loves us in the same way that Joseph's father clothed him in a robe that says, because it's a special robe because I love you so much, but also means you don't have to work. And isn't it amazing that the way that God in Jesus, clothing us with Jesus, says, you don't have to work for my love. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work hard. This robe means it's all been done for you. Point one, which I think is amazing. But also, this robe was like a picture of what was to come later. Because if Joseph had worn that robe and he'd gone out to his brothers and he said, I am the most special son of all. You must bow down to me, which he kind of did at one point. It didn't go well. No one bowed down. They were like, who are you? And you spoiled brat and all that kind of thing. He didn't yet have the authority to make those kind of commands or statements or anything like that. And for those of you who know, I know probably all of you because you're really good Bible studiers, that what happens next is Joseph's brothers, they're jealous. They end up having come up with a horrible plan to beat him up, throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery. Any parents thinking of been doing that with their children? No, hopefully not. We'd never do that. Um, but they throw him into a pit, sell him to slavery, and they pretend to his dad that he has died. And we know the story. Joseph ends up getting sold to a slaver, and then he ends up uh, actually doing really well. But then something goes wrong, and he ends up in prison. He does well in prison, and then he ends up in front of the Pharaoh, king of all of Egypt, interpreting his dreams. And if we flip over the page to Genesis chapter 41, here we know. Yes, Genesis 41. Then we come to this part where Joseph is stood in front of the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says this. Look, I have put you in charge over all of the land of Egypt. Then the king, the Pharaoh, took off of his own finger his ring, which was called a signet ring or a ring of a special seal. And he put it on Joseph's finger. He gave Joseph fine linen clothes to wear. And he put a gold chain around Joseph's neck. I think before we read the next bit, it's important there to know what was so special about this ring. 
Now, does anyone know, what, if you have to sign a legal document or a check or something like that, what you sign it with? Your signature. Or you do your, you know, your curly, sign your name with really curly letters so that no one can copy it or it's very hard to copy. And that signature represents you. It's your stamp of approval. It says, I say that this is me. That same way back then, that ring would symbolize, even more than a signature, this is me saying it. So in Pharaoh putting it on the ring of Joseph, he was saying, now anytime you say anything, do anything, sign a document or stamp a document with my wax ring, it's as though it was me. And isn't that amazing? That's the same thing that in the story of the prodigal son, the father does with his son. He puts a ring on his finger saying, you're now mine. Everything that you do, you do in my name. He puts a robe on his shoulders in the same way, just like this robe, just like the one he had when he was young. But now even more beautiful, even more amazing. The word here, um, kila, is this special robe that may have been uh, reserved for royalty reserved for only the most special people in all of the land. That's the kind of robe that Jesus, we are robed in, in Jesus. We put on the clothes that God puts on us. Let's see what happens next. Then it goes even more amazing. The king had Joseph ride in the chariot just behind him and people walked ahead of his chariot calling out, bow down. By doing these things, the king put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. So, If Joseph had walked around before in his brightly coloured robe and told people what to do, they'd have ignored him. But now he's robed with a ring, with a chain on, with his special royal robes. He walks around. If he says anything to anyone, they're going to go, yes, sir. Because as soon as they see him, they recognise this person. Wow. They're like, they, they obviously belong to the king. They belong to Pharaoh. So if he says it, it's like Pharaoh saying it. So we better do what he says. There was authority that came with the clothes that he was wearing. And it goes on to say this. I think this is amazing, especially in the NIV, if you're following along. 41 verse 44 says, I am Pharaoh. The king says, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Isn't it amazing that even that, that authority, that nothing's going to happen unless you say it. Joseph, who is a slave, who is from nothing. If you say it, it will be done. And if you don't say it, it won't. And how much God puts responsibility on us and says, I'm king, I am God, but I've chosen to partner with you. So if you say it, it'll be done. But also sometimes if you don't say it, it won't. And what an amazing privilege and opportunity is to be able to talk on behalf of God, the ultimate king. And we're the ones who say, yes, no, stop go. We're the ones who say it can happen or it mustn't happen. When we pray, we're praying as though we are God. Now that sounds crazy, but that's the authority that Jesus has and he has enclosed us in him. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you're somebody who feels like, I'm not sure that's really me though. Um, Maybe maybe you just kind of feel like, I just don't feel like I've got any authority. If I tell someone what to do, remember, we're not talking about people now. We're talking about in spirit. So anyone ever one one day had something that they're just is really making them feel anxious or something they're fearful about or something that just keeps tripping them up or just really difficult or difficult circumstances or maybe a health thing. And you think, well, that's okay for Pastor Colin to pray for the sick and it will happen because he's really got authority. Or Pastor Clive, you know, he says it and he does it in such like this commanding voice like, 
be healed. And I just, I just sound like, be healed. It just doesn't come out in quite the same way, you know. So he's probably got a lot of authority, but I just don't. Have you ever felt like that? Or maybe the idea of, I just don't feel like I can pluck up the courage to say in some big, loud, authoritative voice. I just don't have enough faith. I'm not really sure that I've got enough, a big enough faith to move that mountain, to say to sickness it can go or anything like that. I think it's really interesting that in that verse we talked about where, it, where um, uh, you've been baptised in Christ and you've been clothed with Christ, in a similar way, Jesus says to the disciples just before the day of Pentecost, you are going to be clothed with power. That same thing, clothed with the Holy Spirit, clothed with the power of Jesus, that same spirit that raised him from the dead, that same power. And just beforehand, just before he said, you're going to be clothed with power, they were all doubting. They're like, oh, it's a ghost. It's not really Jesus. Who is this? What's going on? So even the disciples doubted. And yet immediately after Jesus said, you still get the power. So I think that qualifies all of us. Amen. If you feel like you have sinned too much, or haven't been holy enough or pleased God enough to be allowed to tell that problem or fear or anxiety or sickness or whatever it might be to go away, that's okay. Because the Bible says that your authority is not in how loud your voice in, voices, it's not in how much you feel like you've got big enough faith to do it, it's not even in how holy you are, but it's in the authority that Jesus has. It's in how holy he is. It's because when he speaks, all of the devil and all of the demons run and hide because it's his voice. And so we don't need some great faith to believe that we can move a mountain. We need, the Bible says, just a tiny bit of faith because all we need to believe is that we're clothing Jesus. And so when we speak, it's him speaking. Amen. So who believes that if Jesus walked in, he could solve all of our problems? So all we need to believe, our faith just needs to be this big to just believe Jesus has walked in. He walked in the moment I walked in. I mean, now, if you're still kind of struggling to get your head around this, then I've got one more quick story. And we're going to finish a bit early today, by the way, which is going to be great for just having time, just spend time together to chat, talk about what was God saying to you in that message? Because although, again, it's wrapped up, hopefully, in a way that everyone could understand it, hopefully everyone includes everyone who's also above 12 or 16 or whatever. So all of us too, because God wants to say this to every single one of us. Now, the story I want to tell you is a made up story. But it's about a lady named Doris. Now, Doris was a wee sweet little old lady. And uh, one Sunday afternoon, she decided that she wanted to cross the road. But it was a very, very busy, busy road with lots of big lorries and fast cars moving. But wee Doris, she just hobbled down to the roadside one day. And she looked at the road and, vroom, you know, lorries coming past, 40 ton Arctics. And she oh, I don't know about this. She has a look both ways and she just doesn't see much room. A couple of times she's like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll go, but Doris is a little bit slow, so she's not sure. But then one after an hour of waiting, she's like, right, I'm getting a wee bit fed up now. So she decides, there's a bit of a gap, and she decides, right, I'm going for it. And she steps out into the road. Meanwhile, coming from this direction, we've got Bob, it is 40 ton, 18 wheel articulated lorry coming straight at her. And he sees Doris stepping out to the road. What do you think he does? He's on his horn, accelerates. No, he, he breaks a bit, but he's on his horn like, what do you think you're doing, you mad old woman? Get out of the way, you're gonna get yourself run over. And, and Doris like, just in the nick of time, steps back as Bob in his huge lorry drives past and dirt splashes up and muddy water all over. And she thinks, great. 
think that's enough for today. I'll try again tomorrow. And she goes back to her, her house, goes to bed, has a shower, all that kind of thing. It's the next day. It's Monday morning. Again, she comes down to the road. But this time it's Monday, so it's different. Now, Doris doesn't feel any different. She's not grown particularly much wiser or more knowledgeable. She doesn't have much more experience than she did yesterday in crossing roads. But there was one thing that was different. Now, if the really observant among you who've been doing your colouring sheets, you may have noticed where I'm going with this. Because that morning, Doris, the only difference was she was dressed slightly differently. Firstly, she had one of these on. And secondly, she was holding something that looked a little bit like... Uh, let's see if I can get it out. Uh, like this. Now, wee little Doris. She stepped out into the road, and she sees Bob on his journey the next morning. Same Bob, the same time, just coincidentally. And this time, Doris steps out into the road, and she turns. She looks Bob square in the eye, just like, ay, ay, ay. You know, there's kind of moments in like a Western, you know, where they reach for their guns kind of thing. This time, she's like, challenge this, Bob. And Bob's coming the other way, and he sees Doris. He s but he doesn't see her. He sees the luminous jacket, the gigantic stop sign, and he slams on his brakes because he knows... She's not just little old Doris now. She's Doris who represents the law of the land. If he doesn't stop, he gets fined a thousand pounds and three points on his license. And he's not risking that. He's always got, he already got several, so. Because he doesn't stop for little old ladies trying to cross the road. But Doris is no different. She's no braver. She's no bigger, badder, or more authoritative in herself whatsoever. The only difference is what she is wearing. Because today is Monday. And today, Doris is a superhero. She is a lollipop lady, or lollipop person. And, uh, and so she says, stop. She's got all of the backing of the authority of the law behind her. So when we know that we are dressed, robed in Jesus, oh, I'm going to keep this on, it's nice and warm. We know that we represent him. So when we say stop, when the devil sees us, do you know what? His brakes slam on. Not because of how powerful we are, because of how powerful the one that we represent is. Amen. So do you want to stand on your feet with me? And let's just, let's just respond to God this morning. And we're going to respond physically as well as spiritually. We're going to use our words, but we're also going to do something. This might feel a little bit silly, but I encourage you at home to do this as well. But I want you just to close your eyes. And I first want you to imagine... Just ask God, God, are there any problems at the moment, or you might just immediately know about them, that are just, I'm struggling with, that I just don't feel like I can really say, stop. Or maybe things that you've said to before, stop, and they just don't seem to stop. They just keep coming and coming and coming. Like an 18-wheeler, articulated lorry, heading right towards you. You're stood in the middle of the road, and you know this is going to take me out. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Those kind of things. And I want you to imagine yourself stood in the middle of that road with those things, whatever it might be, that fear, that anxiety, that worry, that sin, that the way you view yourself, that distraction, that financial lack, that need of provision, that fear of failure. Whatever it might be, you can see it like plastered down, the name of it plastered down the side of the lorry. It's coming straight forward you. I want you in that moment, stood in the center of the road, to imagine right now, you just use your spiritual imagination to pick up your fluorescent jacket and just to put your arms in it. You can do this physically with me. Just imagine putting your arms in, stretch it on, just 
cinching it down over your shoulder, zipping it up, and then bending down and picking up your stop sign. See yourself right now with that just tiny bit of faith that required to do this. See yourself robed in Jesus. That that fluorescent jacket suddenly becomes like Jesus wrapping himself around you. That you look down at your hands and they just they look like they're changing because suddenly they're Jesus' hands. You look down at yourself and you look like Jesus. And now you reach out with your hand, that stop sign, and I just want you to right now do this with me. Just see that thing coming towards you. And in the name of Jesus, physically out loud, you can just say, stop. And it doesn't need to be really big or really loud. You could just say, if you've got the puniest little voice in the world, you say, stop. That's okay. Because that thing coming towards you, it sees Jesus around you. It sees a blinding white light and a power that says with all of the authority of heaven, like a mighty rushing water as you open your mouth, stop! And it stops. It grinds to a halt. And now, not only can we say stop, but the Bible says we can tell those things to go into the sea. So you can turn that sign around and you say go, but this time you just, you just give it a bit of help of the direction. And you say, not towards me, go that way. Cast yourself into the sea. Go away. Thank you, Jesus. And can anyone right now just say thank you, Jesus, for the authority that you've given me? Romans 13, 14 says, clothe yourselves with Christ. I believe this is what it's talking about. No one, I don't know, well, I've never yet, leaves the house forgetting to put their clothes on. I've never managed to do that yet. I always remember to be clothed, to be dressed before I leave my house. In the same way, Paul here is saying, remind yourself. Make sure that you're wearing Jesus. Never take this off. Now, lastly, I just want to stay in that place of just talking to Jesus for a moment as we just say, Jesus, thank you that it's not just the devil that sees me this way. You see me this way. You don't see my sin or my wrongdoing or my past or how I fail or how I get it wrong or how I feel like I don't have enough faith or anything like that. I feel like I'm not really allowed to come close to you. Thank you, Jesus. You see Jesus. Father, you see Jesus. That verse in Galatians that we first talked about, that when you're baptized, you're also baptized into Christ. It then goes on to say, it shows that you are his children. So let's just right now say, you can say this out loud, something like, Jesus, thank you that I'm dressed in you, which means that the Father loves me. He sees Jesus in me. Thank you that it shows you've made me your child, and that's never going to change. Thank you, Jesus that you have, you have adopted me. You've made me your own. You've given me your uniform that says I belong to you. So at this time when we're talking about intimacy with God, there is nothing that disqualifies us from coming before him to be allowed intimacy because we are clothed, not in rags of self-righteousness that are filthy. We are now, if we've put our faith in Jesus and said, thank you, Jesus, that I belong to you, you are now my Lord, we're clothed in him. So we can come before God with boldness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So tomorrow morning and every morning when you get up in the morning and you're getting dressed and you're pulling on your pants or whatever you're doing, just think right now, I'm reminding myself I'm putting on Jesus this morning. Both legs, both arms, the right way up, zipping it up. There is not a bit that is showing I'm going out in a full like parka 
I'm wearing Jesus suited and booted. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And on your sheets, which are for the adults as well as the, as the children, we've got a memory verse just rem- on there. Remember, clothe yourselves with Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.